0: Ow, ow, ow. Ow. Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC Vegas seventy-four. I'm Paul Shaughnessy. Cody Saptics on the line. Producer Megan is on the sticks. Had a week off. I think there's what, thirteen straight weeks of UFC coming up here yes sir uh, and this episode of the dogger pass podcast and all episodes of the dogger pass pro- podcast are brought to you by pro- uh, prize picks use promo code dop when making a new account to get a match up to 100 dollars on your first deposit you know it's been a week off was a little bit rusty same prize <laughs> picks there couldn't get it out of me um i owe you a shoey there bud um i think everybody wanted to see you wanted to see six pack saptic but That wasn't, you know what? She covered a thousand minus a thousand. She one hundred percent, just absolutely bodied her. No questions asked. You know, it probably should have been like twenty to twenty to one, to be perfectly honest. Natalia Silva looks like the real deal.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, she was fighting Victor Leonardo, but you're right. It was an absolute uh, beating on that end. Uh, so, yeah, it was just one shoey bet, right? I thought for some reason we had another shoey bet. Yeah, Mahashat. So you also took Mahashat over Borshev. So you, my friend, owe me two shoeies. I don't know if we shoeied on that one, did we? Someone in the comment section will go back and check it and be like, whoa, Paul took a shoey bet on Shot because he has a cool name. Uh, but yeah, I thought I thought we did. If we don't,
0: all good. I think we turned it down. How about this? Okay, fair enough. I think we just did the six, the 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 safety. Cause yeah, that was like a weird price. It was like minus one sixty plus one forty. I don't know if we actually did it. Mm, Megan, yeah, do you remember? Fair. I'll give
1: you I'll give you a pass because I, I don't neither think we did, did I remember.
0: I don't think we did it. I think you brought it up, and I'm like, I'm not giving you a minus one seventy five. And I mean Borshev absolutely killed him. You send us off for a week here, and we just come back and like we're in shambles. <laughs> Can't remember anything. What's going no. on? Just always looking forward to the to the next event. Should I do blueberry? Should I do uh peach or raspberry, Cody?
1: Yeah, I would say Blueberry, but I don't think any of those sound delightful to, like, chug in one go, but Blueberry of the options.
0: They are all delightful. I would mention the name of this, uh, of this but they aren't paying me no money, so...
1: Brock Lesnar would have you know that uh, never give away in the name of a sponsor that ain't paying you no money. And he'll 100%. also let you know that he might even get on top of his wife. <laughs> the post fight interviews like that don't even exist anymore. No one's bold enough. They're all just like, thank you. There <laughs> thank may be non existent sponsors. Bye.
0: There may be a, a post fight uh, speech this week if Tim Elliott wins. That could be Mooey picante if you've seen what he's been up to on social media.
1: It could be Muy Picante. I'm actually interested in getting to that fight because there's no— Well, we'll talk about the stylistical breakdown, but who cares about that? It's all about, like, is Tim Elliott coming to win? Because he's either going to be, like, next level Tim Elliott or he's going to be awful.
0: I mean, post-breakup, Mackenzie Dern had the best performance of her life. This could be, like, a new narrative. Those are facts.
1: Those are facts. (laughs) Like,
0: you know— drop the old ball and chain and all of a sudden you're just not weighed down you're just like kicking ass out there that could be a thing we'll find out on saturday um you know that sample size sample size of two would be more than enough to know that it's going to work all the time all right over the lips past the gums look at stomach here it comes
1: yeah so first show back in two weeks uh again i'd say it's a weak looking card in terms of a betting standpoint like i don't know i have any super hot takes on any one fight but similar to two weeks ago when we actually did quite well, it's like, I I think finding those near even money plays, those chase hoopers at plus 110, like slight dog money or near money or minus 135, minus 145 range. Like that's probably where the value's at. But of course you get the right side of the bounces and we can throw some greasy parlay tickets together. They're going to pay really well because it's not like anybody's a massive favorite. Like one, all these matches are pretty fair. Underdog could win in all of them. Two, it's not the highest level of UFC athletes. Like everybody here's got at least a couple question marks. They got skill, right? They deserve to be there, no doubt about it. And a lot of these are good entertaining fights, but like nobody here's a rock card lock. Unless Paul can talk me into something.
0: No, there's no there's no locks on this card. The the only lock is like Tim Elliott's gonna raise hell if he gets the microphone. <laughs> he was he's on Twitter saying that like he's not fighting for decisions because he's worried that if he wants that microphone time. Like he's really pumping it up on Twitter, so the under could be kind of interesting, but we'll get to that in in a little bit. All right, we got Kai Kara France taking on Amir al in the main event. Straight pick him, homie. These are the spots that you said that you were looking for. Who you got?
1: Yeah, exactly. This is another one of these spots. It's a 50-50 type fight. Both guys got a lot of merit. Both guys could come out and easily win this fight if they put their best foot forward, so it's just, who's going to do it? I would say for the price point, though, you got to bet on what you know. And Carr France has got a lot more of what you know. He's fought, first of all, a much more elite level of competition. You look at the Rogério Bontra, not bad. Cody uh, Garbrandt, Askar Askarov, two fights with Brandon Moreno, the last fight of his career, obviously, the second fight with Moreno, doing really good for himself until he gets folded by that nasty liver kick partway through the third round so you've seen him operate at a world-class level albazi you haven't I mean, his wins have been impressive in the ufc but he's been fighting the malcolm gordon's of the world francisco figueredo zalga Gulov. he's one of the few guys that actually beat him clean it's not a robbery type decision but all the same nothing super impressive and then that last time out against alejandro costa he's a top ticket play for me everybody loves albazi and yeah, he wins the fight. He goes out there, he gets that third round finish. But I thought he looked very low output on the feet. Lands like 37 significant strikes through uh, partway through the third round. His takedowns, he goes one for four. So you never really got to see that that world-class grappling out of him. It was mostly just him sitting there, picking the shots, having a little bit more power. He had the two knockdowns. The guy's got some clean power, no doubt about it. He could clip Kai Carr France. But I would say in terms of experience, you've seen Kai Carr France fight some of the best guys in the game. And, you know, he can operate at that level he can compete with them he can strike with them he is of that ilk whereas albazi you're just hoping he might be right you're, you're thinking this is a prospect that might be able to cross over and fight some elite level guys but you really have no reference point to look back at and say this is how he did in those those situations. So, experience wise, we're looking for Kai france If the fight stays standing, Kai france isn't a big volume guy either by no stretch. Over five rounds, I'd expect him to land 75, maybe 80. Over three rounds, he lands about that 50, 55 range. So, he's not a big, big volume guy, but he's super accurate, right? Whereas Albazi, Albazi's not even throwing in that 50 range. So, I would say volume, experience, being able to go out there and headline a show, which is something that Kai Car France has done as well, he's just got a lot more going behind him. He's not necessarily fought into those fourth and fifth rounds at the UFC level, but you would expect, based on his cardio, that he should be able to. And uh, again, for the price point, I just feel like one guy is a hope. He's got a little bit of hype right now, and Kai Car France is a little more substance. So I would, I would say, I would take him for the main event.
0: Yeah, that's kind of, and that's where the market's moving right now. It's really, really hard to back Albazi in this spot, to be perfectly honest. Uh, like, from my perspective, just because we haven't seen it against elite level competition. And I know Kaikar, like, if you look at that Moreno fight, it's like early on in that fight, he was causing Moreno all of the problems. So hmm. we know that when he's at his best, he can compete with literally the top of the division. Can't really say that Say that about Amir Al- Albazi. He's had close fights. Relatively close fights. Like, he has been absolutely just smashing through guys. But this is against... This is such a massive step up in competition. It is a small cage, but maybe can help Albazi a little bit in terms of, you know, the footwork and the speed on the feet should be clearly in in Kaikara Francis corner. But, um, yeah, unless it's Albazi's able to just get these takedowns early and that grappling is just too much early... It should be pretty easy for Kaikara France to just pick them apart from the outside. So I'm with you. I think, um, you know, in a pick fight, Kaikara France looks looks like the value side as far as I'm concerned. Moving on down, we've got Alex Bruce Leroy Casera taking on Daniel Pineda. Uh, Cassera so minus 180 favor. Pineda can be half plus 155. Pretty rare that we've ever seen Alex Caceres as like well, I guess he's been a favorite in, in some some fights recently. Is this guy having a resurgence right now, Cody? Or is this like a classic letdown spot where it's like all of a sudden it's like, all right, now you're expecting him to win like sixty five to seventy percent of the time at this price and he's uh he's gonna get blasted. Uh I'm not entirely too sure. I'm not the biggest Pineda guy. I don't know if his cardio holds up over the course of uh three rounds. Caceres shows a finish against Julian or, or uh in his last time out there. So it's uh it's all kind of interesting. i like from a straight picks perspective, I suppose I'll I'll pick Alex Caceres. He's got so much experience, he's seen all of the styles But I don't know if I can get to that minus 180 line from a betting perspective. What's your take here?
1: Yeah, I've always had a trouble gauging Bruce Leroy because, yeah, he looked kind of fraudulent. You know, he's on the Ultimate Fighter. Nothing really ever came of it. He flopped around in the UFC, 500-type journeyman guy. All of his wins are bottom-of-the-barrel guys, no longer with the organization. And it just never looked like he was going to cut the corner. So you go back to 2018, which I suppose now is five years ago. He loses to Guan Wong on a split decision to drop his old record to 13 and 11. And then he beat Martin Bravo also by split decision to improve to 14 and 11. 2018, sorry. Fair looks pretty much stalled out and done from there. Lose to Cron Gracie, whatever. It's that... He totally rebuilt himself. I'm not going to discredit him. He put the work in. And I think as a guy that kind of had that whole martial artist mentality, this is what he does. And he's worked on every aspect of his game, spent a lot of time in Arizona, took on a bit of a coaching role, Started teaching that younger generation. And as a result, it's like every aspect of his game's gotten better. His wrestling has gotten a lot better. His striking, which is always quirky and kind of rinky-dink, has become a lot more, you know, pinpoint. You know, a lot more, a lot more intelligent, a lot more, you know, distance. Because he's a long guy, he's started to figure it out a little bit. And the grappling, well, that's been the best part of his game, right? He's got a knack for taking the back. Once he takes the back, loves fishing for that rear naked choke. He's been competing in a lot of grappling tournaments recently. Thirty-four years old, but it feels like the experience has finally caught up to Bruce Leroy. So you look at the stretch since then: went over Steven Peterson, went over Chase Hooper, Austin Springer, Kevin Croom, Sung Hu Choi. Not great. It's the loss to Sodi Kusev. He was in it, man. He outstruck, by the numbers, outstruck Sodi Kusev, managed to take down in that fight, kept it from top 15 guys, or, like, not even top 25 guys. He can beat that era of guys. He's always has been able to beat, you know, that level. But of the loss to Sodi Kusev, he was competitive with a guy that has a little more promise than that. And, of course, his last fight with Julian Rosa folds him up with a head kick, so... I would say that it's like it's more than just he's getting lucky here and there. or It's more than just like a fluke run. Like we'll talk about Andre Arlovsky later. Like his run a little, is a little more fluky to me. Like he's just beaten the right level of opposition. I would say that Bruce Lee has made enough improvements that, you know, he's looking to be competitive. How does he compare with Daniel Pineda? Well, actually really good because Pineda more of a front runner. He's always been a front runner. Tons of submissions, tons of early finishes. The longer these fights go is the more he's falling apart. I, mean, I took an absolute bath on him the last time out. I bet pretty heavy on Tucker Lutz, thinking Lutz would smash him. Lutz was smashing him. And then, like, tail end of the first round, he drops him clean. Nice shot. Puts Lux on his seat. Probably steals back the first round because of the knockdown. And the second round, Lutz just never really recovered. Gets into a gunfight, ends up getting smashed by Pineda. You could see that Pineda, a guy that normally gasses, was just oozing with confidence. He was feeling good. He looked back at his corner, he caught a second win, and he's feeling himself. It was the first fight back of a long layoff. And that that long layoff was due to an eye-poke injury against Andre Feely in a fight that you'll remember. He was absolutely getting smashed in. Mm -hmm. So good to see that he's back. Good to see that he got that confidence. But really him at his core is still that first-round guy. I think Bruce Leroy, more of I can play these games i can survive i can get you into that second and the third round and then still be as dangerous so for that reason i'm leaning towards bruce leroy but i will admit daniel Pineda is very physically strong is a bjj black belt as well and probably does have the wrestling advantage so if he can take bruce leroy down control one of the first two rounds sorry he's going to need two of the first three rounds uh then you got bruce leroy fighting for a finish coming back in a fight not great he's lost a lot of spots in his career so i don't know that i want some like overaction in this spot specifically especially because bruce Leroy also just coming off a grappling loss to Pat Sabatini since his last fight. Pineda's he's strong. He's a block belt. He probably will try to grapple him with him a little bit. I just, I don't look at a fight as five minutes. I look at a fight as 15 minutes, and I feel like Caceres should win over the course of 15.
0: Interestingly, on prize picks, Caceres has a line of 0.5 takedowns. The problem is, is like, if someone throws a kick, and you catch that kick, and then you take them to the ground, and they pop back up. You can get that takedown, but I mean, you go through his history. This, this guy's not exactly a wrestler by any stretch of the imagination, and it seems like Pineda would be the guy who would be trying to force the issue in the wrestling department, and Caceres is going to fight at range, so I don't mind the under uh, for Bruce Lee Roy takedowns, but it's one of those things that, you know, MMA can be crazy. I don't think he's gonna go out there and absolutely just put on a wrestle fest by any stretch of the imagination. We would lock it in if the if the number was one. Zero point five, yeah, crazy trip, something like that can happen and and uh, Cassares can land or end up on top for uh for a little bit, but don't mind the under 0.5 takedowns for Alex, Bruce Leroy, Caceres. All right, we got Jared Gordon taking on Jim Miller. Jared Gordon a minus 180 favorite. Jim Miller can be had for plus 155. Jared Gordon was let's fr- let's face it, knocked pretty clean out. Um, obviously, it was an accidental headbutt against Bobby Green. That one hurt because I had Bobby Green by knockout in that fight. And I mean, but then you you know you watch in the moment you're excited, and then you watch the replay, and you're like, well, that is an accidental head headbutt. That is the definition of a no contest. You can't be mad. For too long. But it was like one of those spots that's just like, man, like, you know, it's kind of, it was all breaking my way. Obviously not, no, no, no issue whatsoever with, uh, with how the fight was scored or how it was uh, declared. But yeah, one month removed from that, taking on Jim Miller, who it wasn't the prettiest performance, but he hung in there for three rounds against uh, Alexander Hernandez round three, kind of comes on a little bit. It was very, very competitive um for most of the fight. I would definitely struggle to get to Jared Gordon. And you know me, I love dogs. It's like I'm gonna probably end up with some money on Jim Miller by Saturday. Cause Miller round two, is that still a thing? I don't think that's a thing anymore. Um but yeah Jared Gordon the being knocked out that that short short of a period uh, from now, plus, like, I think it's a relatively competitive fight between these two guys. Like, Gordon was out there being competitive on the feet with Patty Pimblett. Like, Jim's seen this type of style so many times. I think plus 155 is the value side 100%. What do you think?
1: So I'm going to agree with you. I think it's the value side. I think Jim Miller could absolutely win this fight. And then I got this nagging suspicion that Jim Miller knocks him out because he's got some low-key one-punch power. And Jared Gordon, he's a little bit chinny. If you look at him at his worst, is him getting just cold-cocked. You mentioned the Bobby Green. It's a no contest. But go back to the Carlos Diego Ferreira fight, the Charles Oliveira fight. It's not just, like, knocked out. Like, he knocked out smooth. Competitive on the feet with Paddy Pimblet. Had to rely on leaning on him. And the Bobby Green fight looked like he was throwing out a lot of, like, range finders. He wasn't committing to nothing. And Bobby Green, who traditionally can't bust a grape, like, dude will punch you oh, well over 100 times. And I'm sure, you know, change your brain matter. But uh, not not like a knock you out, big, big power puncher kind of guy. So yeah, we as a headbutt. But Bobby Green was actually finding the target pretty good. And he made it decent at least a decent point in the post-fight press conference being like the ref lets it go homie recovers enough to throw up this triangle choke that i got to fight out of and then he smashes him unconscious so this is a double knockout situation okay he headbutts him which clearly rocks jared gordon enough to drop him to the ground but then he proceeds to ground and pound and knock him out so i don't know which doctor cleared this jared gordon for the record isn't like some 27 year old athlete who's going to be able to recover quickly like he's had a a lot of wear and tear, a lot of mileage on the body. You know, he's got a checkered history that he's been able to overcome, but that mixed in with grueling training sessions at Sanford MMA or Kill Cliff FC, I guess I should say. Yeah, man if he comes in here even like half what compromised jim miller could absolutely cold cock him and miller's got the advantage that if he catches you clean he can knock you out but if he catches you clean and you somehow pounce back up he'll get a hold of your neck and choke you out before you know what happens so yeah i could see him scoring that first round finish but again similar to the breakdown of the last fight I, i'm looking for something that's going to go 15 minutes and if jim miller doesn't come out here and finish jared gordon early which is entirely possible Uh, Jared Gordon is just going to, I think, work him over slowly. Jim Miller was known for a wrestling background back in the day. You know, BJJ Black Belt, excellent grappler. I just don't see him consistently getting those takedowns on Jared Gordon, who's likely going to push more of a pace standing, land more strikes. Going to be a sloppy fight. Going to be a tight fight. Not sure I would really want to bet either side of it all that much. And I do agree the value side is 100% Jim Miller. Yeah, man, I'm looking to get the right pick, and I think the right pick is Jared Gordon. So very reluctantly, again, I I will stick with him.
0: All right, we got uh, Tim Elliott taking on Victor Altamirano. It's the people's main event. It's what the people are coming to see. They want to see Tim go on there, talk about Kevin Kroom, talk about Gina Mazzani. But I I saw on Twitter, okay, so there was somebody, they were talking about this, they're like it's going to be an absolute travesty when Elliott, who wants the mic, and who knows what he's going to say, he's... He's a bit of a wild child, and he has been in the past. Um, he seems very dead set. He really wants to get onto the mics. So people were talking about, it's like, it's going to be bad when he wins like a dominant 30-27. Uh, he doesn't get the interview because they're on a time constraint. He, Tim responds, <laughs> I'm going to finish him. No more three-round fights. And then somebody asks, are you going for the KO or a sub? he goes, I'm searching for a KO. More importantly, I'm going to do some wild shit. (laughs) So, I mean, this guy always does pretty wild stuff in there. And Victor Altamirano has never been knocked out. And this is maybe, like, positive racism. I don't mean it any sort of. It's positive. He's Mexican. Like, Mexican dudes have Durability through the charts Megan's shaking her head like come on that's it's true and like Mexican dudes are just able to take an obscene amount of punishment like I don't know I don't know what's in the water down there but uh I think it's a tall task for him to get a to get a knockout the under two and a half is at plus 215 though and I know every fighter goes into a fight saying I'm gonna go out there I'm going to finish this guy. Nobody wants to go to decision, but, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading into the tea leaves a little bit too much. But Tim Elliott should be able to secure takedowns. I think it's more likely that he wins by submission. Uh, Altamirano has been subbed twice as a pro, and I believe, like, three times on the regional scene when he was coming up elliot has been subbed a whole bunch on in his own right don't get me wrong but that seems like the most logical path to victory but we're talking about Tim Elliott he may not chase the most logical path to victory either way I'm gonna go with Tim Elliott but I'm interested in this under because it's like plus 215 and if you do a little bit of shopping there may even be better prices out there um it's got my eye for sure what do you think about this fight code
1: yeah, if Tamelli was like, "Listen, I'm a way better wrestler than this kid. He's got suspect takedown defense. Renders up takedowns in pretty much all of his fights and I'm just going to I just I just took down Tigrloom Bekov when I wanted to. I'm going to take this kid down and grind him. Then this is this is easy money. When you say you're going to do some wild shit, and you're just going to you know, look for the KO. Like, yeah, well, now you're getting away from the game plan. Now you're not using your best resource, your best weapon, which is probably his wrestling. And instead, you're just looking to bang with this kid. He's got superior volume, perhaps, but they're both 125 pounds. And I wouldn't say Altamirano is some young kid. He's 32 years old, so it's not like he's 10 years younger than Elliot, but he's way fresher. Kid's got some speed. Yeah, he actually has been dropped. Daniel Lacerda floored him, uh, and Lacerda's a massive power puncher. And Altamirano popped back up, like Paul's saying. He's got that mexican heritage he's got that mexican blood running through him he just pops back up and then proceeds to get back to work so at 125 you don't see a whole lot of killer ko's and if elliot at age 38 is now suddenly wanting to put on some great performance and just stand and bang he's gonna make it a lot harder on himself now maybe it's all smoke in the waters maybe he's cool with scoring the takedowns he's cool with looking for that darth choke looking to you know take some zip out of him looking to land some ground upon him. maybe he's cool with all that stuff yeah, maybe he's just bonus hunting. His life's falling apart. His wife just got caught with his buddy. His coach is banned from from teaching. He's floating around. He's starting to get a little bit older. And uh, he just wants to go out there and try to knock the kid out and make that $50,000 because he needs it. You don't know. Here's a greasy theory for you. Kevin Kroom is actually signed to BKFC. And so he can't obviously fight in the UFC, nor is he going to fight him anytime soon in the UFC. But if Tamaly was to get released from the UFC, okay, that he could fight Kevin Krum in BKFC. And he could do some wild shit. So why not? Oh, yeah, I'm going to go and have some crazy fight in the UFC. So the BKFC says, damn, look at Tim Elliott. Super exciting. And we got this crazy, greasy storyline. Let's run with it. And we'll pay way better than he would make in the UFC, which is fact. He'd make a lot more money doing that. Those are all greasy little tinfoil hat angles that, uh, I don't know, possibly be true. But (laughs) all I'm saying is already questionable ring IQ Tim Elliott, plus all of these potential red flags thrown in the mix. Like, yeah, if you can find a a book that takes bet on Fight of the Night, probably this. Okay, They're both going to slug it out. But again, Tim Elliott's easiest path to victory is the wrestling. Because when you look at Victor Altamirano, he's giving takedowns to everybody. Carlos Candelario on on, uh, Contender Series scores five. Carlos Hernandez in his UFC debut scores two. And then Vinicius Salvador's last time out with just the one takedown. But he's giving up pretty fairly easy takedowns. You know that Elliott, who used to be DraftKings' favorite child, The guy used to just throw up astronomical numbers because he can chain wrestle. He can take you down 14 times. You get up the first time, no problem. Take you back down, take you back down, take you back down. And then all of a sudden the buzzer goes, and it's been 15 minutes, and he wins a decision. That's him at his best. What he's telling you, apparently, is he's not going to do that. No more decisions, no more 14 takedowns, no more Matt returns. Just going to slug it out, look for the knockout. I will pick him. I will pick him because a man on a mission is a very dangerous thing um <laughs> but do i feel confident about it paul like no. no how could you
0: no yeah totally totally agree i mean three takedowns on on prize picks if he is actually just gonna go out there and slug it out like three's pretty high i know that you know you go back to and we're going back to 2017 since he's uh i guess against espinoza he got four but otherwise like it's been a lot of low takedown totals in a lot of his fights. He doesn't necessarily always go out there. So three is is a lot. He could absolutely smash that number, but I could totally see it going way under if he comes out and just tries to throw hands. So um, like that on prize picks, under uh, three takedowns, or less than three here's, takedowns.
1: Here's, here's one here's one for you as well, right? So when you look at Tim Elliott, this is his last number, okay? Him versus Davidson don't look great. Him versus Asker Asuka flat. Him versus Brandon Roy Valley gets subbed out easy. Him versus Ryan Benoit, he didn't look that good. Him versus Matuth Nikolov. Man, he could have won that fight At James Kress not bet against him and told him, don't do nothing in the third round, dog. And then him versus Tagir bekov was actually like a really close fight where he got truck and I thought Tagir potentially won that fight. The one fight that he actually looked amazing was Jordan Espinoza. Now, why is that interesting? Because him and Jordan Espinoza him. had trained together. He, he hated him. He hated him. And the whole time he has him on the ground, and he's smashing him. He did take him down. He did out grapple him. And he smashed him. And he's telling him the whole time, talking all that shit. Calls him out on the microphone right after. He's like, this guy's a white a woman beater. It's like, oh my God, Tim Elliott, with the fire in his eye, was a dangerous man. He don't really know Victor Altamirano. He's not specifically mad at Victor Altamirano. But I, I could I could see him getting into a zone where it's like, I don't care about anything other anymore other than just redlining and taking this man out. And I'll, I'm willing to put some shackles on it.
0: Yeah, I think the under is, is definitely an interesting play. I mean, it's a flyaway fight. Obviously, there's not always that many finishes, but... Yeah, we'll see. I guess, I mean, you'll kind of see early, early in the fight, like, if the pace... And, like, this is a guy that, like, if you really set the pace on him, he has, like, a really, really high-paced fight. He has struggled with the cardio a little bit, so... um yeah, you'll kind of know early, I think, in this fight, whether it's going to go under that two and a half. Plus 215, plus 210s are out there for the most part across the board. I was just looking. Um, I think it's worth a dabble. Uh We got Karine Silva taking on Ketlin Souza. Minus 225 for Karine Silva. Plus 190 for Ketlin Souza, who you got code.
1: Yeah, so you're jumping into a little bit of the unknown here with Caitlin Souza as uh the price is just a little bit too big on Kareen Silva cuz you don't 100% know what to expect out of Caitlin Souza here in her official UFC debut. So, I think if you're a Pat Mayo type, these are the type of plus money fights that probably make sense to just spam the underdog. But uh again, looking at her, she doesn't have the 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 nicest record to start off her career. A Couple of losses, ground game doesn't look all that good. Uh loses a fight like a minute and a half into it due to leg kicks. So, Striking really not all that good, but she's hit a nice run recently. Uh, won the Invicta Flyweight title, five-round win over Christina Williams. In that fight, her striking looks vastly improved. I mean, she nails her with a nasty spinning back kick to the face in the second round. You know, looks a lot more fluid. Ground game looks a lot better. And uh, when she scores the takedowns on Williams, she neutralizes her. When it's standing, she's just better all around. Goes five rounds, decent enough performance. And from that, she's vaulting into the UFC. Still only 27. Clearly making a lot of improvements. Someone that can fight deeper into the fight. And it had some decent chops. Just to zone in on, like, the one thing that I didn't like in that fight is once she smacked up uh, Williams in the second round, like a nice spinning back kick to the face, Williams eats it, comes forward, charges, fight hits the ground, Williams ends up on top, and, like, she don't really got much of a game off her back. Like, she has to wait for a referee stand-up, gets stood up, and then Williams just sweeps, like, foot sweeps, or trips her up back to the ground, and then that's how the round ends, so... It's third round, fourth round, fifth round, sorry, third round, she gets the takedowns, fourth and fifth round, she just has strikes her standing, but certainly if you go back to that second round, she don't look all that comfortable and all that good off her back. I would say that's Karine Silva's best path here. She's got some decent wrestling, she's very physically strong, and she's got some good grappling of her own right. Make this just a straight-up grappling match. because Sousa likes clinching. She's clinching in a stand-up position. She doesn't mind striking. She's uncomfortable on her back. That's where Karine Silva needs to get her. But at a two-to-one range, you know, is, is it enough to jump in? Is it enough to say that you're sold on Crean Silva based on a couple of wins over some lower-level competition? Potentially, maybe. I-, I think she looks really good. Don't get me wrong. I think she uses the wrestling. But is it enough for you to jump in at this two-to-one price tag? Like, ah, I got some hesitancy there. But if she uses I think I think that's the key and she's got the she's got the resources to do it. But again with Ketlin Sousa, she could be a decent prospect in the making. She just needs to continue to pick up these wins, continue to accrue experience. And again, at twenty seven years old, I expect to, her to make improvements down the road. It's just how quickly is she gonna be able to change that part of her game coming into the UFC debut.
0: Yeah, I ran this one through the CF dot model and it uh it said pass. Um so that's why I'm gonna end up doing the purposes of the show i'll uh i'll pick the underdog at plus mm-hmm. 190 but uh lots of other spots on the card that i'm more interested in moving on down we've got elizu zaleski dos santos taking on abubakar nirmagomedov abubakar has become the favorite at minus 120 elizu zaleski dos santos can be half a plus 100 i think it opened up at like minus 140 plus 120 and it, it's flipped a little bit um I mean, this is a clash of styles you, one would think. You've got Elijah Zaleski Dos Santos who throws everything but the kitchen sink at you on the feet. I think his grappling is probably pretty solid, but it's not, def- it's not enough that if he gets taken down that Abubakar hasn't seen any of his submission attacks or anything like that off of his back. He's primarily a striker. Abubakar is rolling with, you know, crazy Dagestani guys that, I I really don't expect any problems if Abubakar is able to go out there, get a takedown every single round, and just maintain position. But while they're on the feet, I think it's a pretty significant mismatch. Um, I don't necessarily agree with the line movement. I'm interested in Elijah Zaleski Dos Santos. He could get himself in trouble throwing a bunch of spinning stuff, getting taken down in that way, but it's like, If you're on Abubakar, I feel like while they're on the feet, you're going to have your your butt puckered the entire time. Um, uh, In terms of overall, like, skill set, the more dangerous fighter, I'm going to side with him as the ever-so-slight underdog in Eliza Zaleski-Dos Santos. Uh, Never been big on Abubakar. And um, I think if his name was, like, Smith, I don't know Mm -hmm. if he becomes the fighter. I already know he, that, he, that he becomes the favorite um, in the market here. So, yeah, Liza Zaleski-Dos Santos for me. on uh, Prize picks, I think, is like significant strikes is like 56 or something, like 56.5. Um, I like that to go over. Um, obviously, he could knock him out, and obviously that would keep it way, way under. But what was it? His last time out there, where did UFC stats go? Last time out there, I think he got like 143. Three hundred and forty-nine against Benoit Saint-Denis. Benoit Saint-Denis was able to take him down two times. It's like, sure, he was taken down, but he was able to get back up. And when he was back up, he was causing all sorts of problems for a very, very good uh, fighter, very, very good test, of uh, rising dude in this division in Benoit Saint-Denis, a, lot, a guy that a lot of people were high on. I think Elijah Zaleski Dos Santos is just getting uh criminally underrated here to be perfectly honest i love his skill set i like the guy what's your take here
1: yeah so i i really like him i think him at his best probably does melt him like this guy's got one freakish power but also he'll throw spinning wheel kicks like look at the fight with sean strickland he dices a welterweight sean strickland back in the day one of the few guys other than alex pereira that's been able to just knock him stiff so the guy is a world class operator. He can absolutely turn your lights out. It's the injuries, it's the layoffs, it's the positive drug tests, and uh, that's that's kind of what's riddled him. I mean, his last fight, he uh, knocks, he beats up Benoit Saint Denis. That's a fight that could have been stopped six times, but actually did make it fifteen minutes. And you're right, nice performance, 149 significant strikes landed. Uh, did he get sloppy at points? Yeah. Uh, did he get tired? Sure. He was throwing a lot of heat in that fight. He did give up the two takedowns to Benoit Saint Denis, who was largely rocked for the most part. And it was also Saint Denis' UFC debut. So he got like the easiest version of him. But he ended up flunking an out of competition test slightly thereafter. And he's been sidelined for 19 months. So what version of him is coming back? And is it as explosive? But the takedown defense, which you mentioned, that's kind of the reason why I just can't really get behind him. He hasn't fought. Any wrestlers, like the UFC almost universally matches up, him up with guys that want to strike. Muslim Solikov, Alexey Konchenko, Kun- uh, Ling Jiang Lee, Li, Curtis Millinder, Luigi Vendramini, Sean Strickland, Max Griffin, all of which want to strike with him. It, it, when he does take on guys with a bit of a grappling, they tend to get the takedowns. He's got a 67%, I think, takedown defense in the UFC. I just don't think it's enough. Abubakar doesn't shoot a ton of takedowns. But I think he's got enough wrestling that, well, enough striking that he's just going to throw one or two shots, one or two shots, one or two shots, so unless he's going to explode with that big shot, which he always does, and then it's all about timing it and getting him to the ground. If you can get him to the ground and lean on him and wear on him, then he definitely will fatigue. He's a lot older now. He's a not- on a 19th month layoff, and he's not allowed to take a special sauce. So, like, all of which are indicators that I really wouldn't want to bet the guy in his return until I see something – but if you're gonna get the right plus money on it, like dude can knock out pretty much anybody, so I wouldn't hate a bet on Zaleski, but I wouldn't like him as a favorite. It flipped; Bubakar is now the favorite. You like it better if you're a Dos Santos guy to get some plus money, but I'm not a Dos Santos guy. So Nurmagomedov, definitely the worst of the Nurmagomedovs. <laughs> That's still pretty good, right? So uh, I will take. It.
0: Just look. Uh, there's not too many props out right now. There's uh, like plus. There's only one place that has it open. So, yeah, like, plus 400, Zaleski Dos Santos by knockout. Doesn't seem so bad to me. Um, but, yeah, good point about the about the drug test. I guess he, those that's just all, like, you, you won't really know how much that was helping him until we see him in there. So, obviously, there's big question marks around that. But, yeah, Bubakar, yeah, well, he's got most, takedown that, most takedowns that he's got in any of his UFC fights so far is one. Um... I just think if this fight is yeah. taking place on the feet, it's probably not that competitive. But been wrong before, gonna be wrong again. We'll find out on Saturday night. Moving on down, we got Danny, uh, Daniel, Willie Cat Santos taking on Johnny Munoz, minus 220 for Santos, plus 185 for Munoz. Who you got?
1: Well, we broke down this fight already. Uh, fight got scrapped, they're putting it back together. I'll just stick with the same pick, which is w- Willie Cat, uh, Santos. Oh, sorry, Santos um daniel santos he's just got that forward pressure man like he's one of these brazilian pressure fighters that's going to not take a step backwards he's going to continuously be coming forward in the small cage in the apex you've got not a whole lot of space to run and you're going to have to exchange with him he's super hittable don't get me wrong but he's willing to throw down and if you can't keep up with that pace or you fatigue fighting off your back foot which i think might be the case here for johnny munoz uh, it's not going to go too well for you. His debut against Julio Arche, he just got absolutely executed in the sense that his forward style, which is like come forward and just not really cut a whole lot of angles or defend himself, but try to put that pressure on you, not going to work good against a smooth counter puncher like Julio Arche, a guy that's got some you know decent boxing experience uh very very good with his footwork very you know a guy that moves vertically moves laterally moves all over the place and is able to just use that quick jab pinpoint accurate jab to feed him all night so bad performance in that regard but he went 15 minutes getting absolutely mauled on he's got enough durability to carry him through and then that last fight with John casanada the first round he's getting killed like this is not going good for him and casanada who's not too bad will have to break him down in a little bit as well he just gasses out, having to continuously fight off his back foot, having to continuously move backwards, having to continuously deal with the pressure, and then finally Daniel Santos catches him and knocks him out. So nice come-from-behind victory, but that's what he's going to do. He's probably going to take a mauling for the first five, six minutes, and then eventually break on through to the other side against uh, Johnny Munoz. he's His best part of his game is his top game. Like If he was able to trip him up and t- take him to the ground, he's got some decent top game. But his wrestling's just not all that good. And beyond that, he's got questionable cardio and he's got very, very low volume. All of his fights, for the most part, other than that Ludovic Shalinian fight, you know, very hesitant. He'll get his jab going. He's got a nice jab. He'll probably eat Daniel Santos up a little bit with the jab early. But uh, he just gasses in all of his fights and tires that the longer they go. And that's not at the kind of pace that Santos fights at. So I expect in this fight, maybe wins the first round, maybe competitive for the first six or seven minutes. But the longer it goes, I just think he's going to tire out, start eating some big shots. And eventually those big shots will either lead to a knockout win for Santos or the judges are going to realize those are the bigger shots being landed and they're going to score a decision for him. So I'll take Willie Cat to get the the job done.
0: Yeah, I like Willie Cat as well. I've been a big fan of his even coming in against Julio Arce, which... I mean, he got, he got dominated, or like, not dominated, but like, showed he was tough. You got outworked very, very significantly, but like, that was a tough debut fight for him against somebody who had much more experience in the skills that he tries to bring to the table, but yeah, I love his forward pressure, his aggressive style, he's a super, super fun guy every single time he goes out there, uh, heart of a lion. I mean these are a lot of these are all cliches and all of that, but uh I've been a fan of his work. Uh, minus two twenty seems a little bit stiff. I don't know if there's too much meat on the bone there, but uh I will one hundred percent be picking him. Moving on down, we got Dontale Mays taking on Andre the Pitbull Arlovsky, minus one forty for Mays, plus one twenty for Andre. Uh it sounded like you had something gre- you were talking something about this earlier on. Um, with like you know recent work and stuff like that I mean after the uh the handy anal swab fight I don't know how anybody could put money on Dante Maze as a favorite he cost me I beat the CLV out of the moon on that fight I think I had it like minus like 130 or something it goes off at like minus 225 we are already like basically counting our money and then Handy goes out there, gets takedowns, and then pisses hot afterwards. Like it was it was really, really ugly. Dante was is a, a guy that like I haven't really gotten a great read on so many times. because um, well, there was the one fight that he comes out there and all of a sudden he's D1 Dante. Like he's getting takedowns left, right, and center. Which fight was that? There's like six
1: Josh Parisian.
0: Josh Parisian. He goes out there, gets six takedowns. I know uh, uh, Hamdi was a, a like a Egyptian, you know Egyptian yeah. wrestler, so yeah. it's like that's not that wasn't exactly shocking, but it's like it's really tough getting a read on the guy going out like fight to fight, who's going to have the advantage in what, um, and his volume is super super low. He's taking on Andre, who's been around the block. People talk about him being chinny, and he and he historically was like Dontale hasn't really shown me like crazy power on the feet that would really be a concern like is this it this seems like Andre Arlovski or pass but do I have it in me to put money on Andre Arlovski I think so at plus 120 like if if this line was flipped I'd be a little bit <coughs> more hesitant but I really struggle to see Dontale as the favorite here he's obviously got a lot of extra size he's like 6 foot 6 He's going to look a little bit more domineering, but he doesn't really bring the things to the table that I want in an Arlovsky fade. So it's Arlovsky for me. What about you?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and agree, man. Middling heavyweights, this is the true definition, and uh, I'm going to take some plus money on Andre Arlovsky. UFC feels like they owe Arlovsky some type of favor. Like he's the longest tenured guy on the roster, him and Robbie Lawler, I guess. And then I think Andre Arlovsky is the only guy on the UFC roster that has a pro debut dating back to 1997. Like, he's been around the block a very, very long time, many times over. And, uh, yeah, you don't want to see him get knocked out. He's like your favorite fighter's favorite fighter. Who doesn't like Andre Lofton? Can't name a guy. His fights are awful to watch for the most part. For the most part. But you like to see the old dog get the win. Always have, always will. Love the guy. So the UFC is matching up pretty much accordingly. So as I mentioned earlier, like Bruce Leroy, he turns his career around and goes on this slick little run, right? Like 6-1 and one over his last seven. I think he's 6-2 and two over his last seven. Though um, so that would be eight, I suppose. But on case, it's like they've just given him so many soft guys and just been like, buddy, just run with it. And that he has. When you look at these wins, Jake Collier, Jared Vandera, Carlos Felipe, Chase Sherman, I don't think any of those guys are still on the roster. I think they've since all been released. And that's what they do. They give low-output guys to Andre who they can have a 15-minute fight. If the fight's close, they score for Andre. Almost always. Because everybody loves the guy, right? If you're not going to go knock out 40-year-old Andre Orlovsky, turn almost mid-40-year-old Andre Orlovsky, then you just don't deserve to win the fight, right? So just simply outpointing him is not going to get the job done. And then I think because these guys respect him so much, most of them don't go for the kill. The bottom line is you don't want to be betting Dante Mays and Andre Olofsky as these tight little plus money underdogs seems to squeak on through. Mays is six foot 6 He's got an 81-inch reach. Unfortunately, he just doesn't use any of it. He's got a speed advantage. He's got potentially a boxing advantage. Doesn't use any of it. Where's the jab? Where's the low kicks? This is Andre's fight to lose. And I think Andre goes out there and does what Andre does, which is squeak by decision. Last but not least, (laughs) yeah, again, talking about guys that I've taken an absolute bath on, I got smoked in the Hamdi fight. The Hamdi fight was awful. He looked absolutely awful. Then the very next fight he takes on Augusto Sakai, he's plus 110. So underdog, but not huge underdog. You and I break down the fight. I had no breakdown for the fight. All I told you was I will never bet Dante Maze ever again. Automatic Augusto Sakai. Augusto Sakai wins and they cut Augusto Sakai right after the fight. What do you think is going to happen to Dante Maze once he loses this fight? He'll just be like all the other guys that lose fights to Andre Olofsky off the roster. So, I'm going to take the pit bull to get one over.
0: All right. Sounds good to me. Uh, moving on down, we've got John Castaneda taking on Muin Gafarov. Minus 120 Castaneda, plus 100 for Gafarov. This is a fight that's like pretty, pretty recently added to this card. Do you have any hot take on it, Cub?
1: Yeah, not really. Like if Mwen Gafarov, uh, eight week camp, twelve week camp, knew that he was f- taking this fight, knew that he was on the UFC roster, uh, no injuries, nothing in place, I think he can win it. This guy's like one of those like very, very strong Tajikistan fighters. They're gonna come forward. They're gonna score many, many takedowns, and they are freakishly strong. They fight just like Russians, and uh, it's a it's a style that's gonna yield a lot of success. The thing is, is that his cardio is not great to begin with, and you saw in the contender series when he talked on a uh, Chad a Ledger scores five takedowns you know the early portion of the fight he's very physically strong he's manhandling and ledger and the longer the fight goes he just gases out takedowns aren't there anymore or aren't there for anymore he starts getting tagged up and unfortunately a uh, split decision loss close fight could have scored it for him on the basis of the takedowns but it was the gas tank that failed him since then he's like uh, signed to LFA. He's picked up a couple wins both of those wins inside the distance so if he can go out and beat castanata early then yeah, great. But if he doesn't, and I don't think he's likely to, I just got a feeling he's going to start to gas and then John Castaneda is going to be able to work his way back into it. He's a pretty solid enough fighter. His opponent, John Castaneda, you know, up and down record in the UFC. I believe he's two and two. The losses, Nathaniel Woods, not going to discredit him for that one. And then Daniel Santos, his last time out, he was looking really good early but he too gassed out the longer that fight went and eventually got clipped and put down. In this fight him coming in with the full camp, him not have to fight at that him not having to fight at that same pace that he did against Daniel DeSantos, Santos, I think it's probably before him. I think his wrestling's good enough to stop the takedowns. His cardio should be a little bit better. His volume should a little bit be a little bit better and he's got some decent enough power but uh minus 120 again like that's as much as i want to pay on him i don't want some big favorite price tag because i think skill for skill when probably wins this fight more times than not it's the week or two notice i think it's a one week notice um that's enough for me to think that he's just taking the fight to get into the ufc instead of taking this fight and then going out there and performing to the best of his abilities so right now i'm going to take john castanata but 100 keeping my eye on weigh-ins because with win Gaffrov, that was his other problem he fought Chan and on the on the contender series, gassed out, lost. And then his very next fight was for LFA against Herbert Sousa. He weighed in at 136.2. misses weight by 0.2. So what is he going to do on a week's notice, Paul? He's likely going to come in here heavy. He may have a bad weight cut. He may look awful at the scales. I think you're going to want to wait until you see that at the very least. Unless you're heavy on and Anato, then it's like lock it in now before people realize he's... Uh, whatever, I don't know, maybe he'll die trying because he knows it's the UFC, but a week's notice for a guy that has trouble cutting weight and is big and is strong and has cardio problems, just not something I want to personally get behind.
0: Yeah, that all makes sense to me. You got my vote. Um, I'm, not betting, I'm not betting on the guy who missed for Contender Series, which he probably knew uh, well in advance, missed weight. Like, you miss weight on Contender Series. It's like, you even if you win, you're very, very unlikely to get that job so um that's like probably the worst like you can miss way for ufc prelims all you're not going to lose your job right on the spot it's like you miss it on contender series there is no chance that they're signing you they may give you another contender series fight um well jake hadley or the, got or the, the, the
1: matchmakers were are pissed
0: <laughs> yeah they did not like him whatsoever um did he not fight in between uh jake hadley Either way.
1: I think they just debuted right in the UFC. And then the matchmakers were like, okay, we'll fight Alan Asimento then. And it was like, yeah, Alan Asimento is a legit badass. For the mm-hmm. record, Tim Elliott was going to fight Alan Asimento. This is the short. And Altamirano coming in short notice. So, Tim Elliott, I am the tiger, baby.
0: <laughs> we're back to it. I mean, it's the people's main <laughs> event. People need to yeah. see that, that post-fight interview. Um, hopefully, Tim wins. He, he's had a rough run. He, he needs it. Uh, we got Jamie Malarkey taking on Muhammad Naimov, who's coming in on extremely short notice. Malarkey, a minus 400 favorite. Naimov can be half plus 300. It's like people are up in arms because on like the DFS sites and stuff. Malarkey is priced at the, the bottom of the pricing because obviously he was not supposed to take on uh, Muhammad Naimov in this spot. He was a significant ragdoll. <laughs> he was gonna take on guram who puts in all of that time with some of the best wrestlers in the world and is a stud on the feet i think that was a terrible matchup for malarkey um and then now he flips to being a minus 400 favorite i think he's like 6700 dollars on like dfs like super super cheap everyone's gonna have him in their lineup um Tough spot for Naimov, who wasn't really showing too much to impress you in contender series. Goes back to the regional scene, gets a couple wins. And, you know, it's one of those things like if you're in Vegas and you're ready and willing to fight, these types of opportunities pop up. Malarkey minus 400, I guess, is the pick. Um, I don't know what to do with this one, though. What, what What's your take here, bud?
1: Yeah, well, so Malarkey was likely going to be in for a rough one, but the t- guy's tough as nails, and he always comes out to to give his absolute best, so it was going to be a fun fight. It's just he's relies heavily on his physicality, and oh, man, how are you going to use your physicality against a big old Georgian piece of raw meat like this? So uh, he's getting a much favorable matchup. Yeah, Naimov, again, another one of these guys that held out of Tajikistan originally and is very physically strong but he's like not you know when you see those Russians that are living out of the UK or you see those Russians that are maybe stateside and then you see the real Russians in Russia those are the tough ones this is another guy from Tajikistan but he's at an elevation fight team in Denver I think at one point it seemed like he was going to be decent but uh yeah he, he I remember his contender series fight this is three years ago now against Colin Anglin he's a minus 325 favorite over Colin Anglin he proceeds to get taken down three times at will, easily controlled, and handily beat up standing. I got a struck like 88 to 50 or something. Colin Anglin. Colin Anglin ends up getting the UFC contract. Colin Anglin ends up getting dusted twice right away in the UFC. UFC releases him. He then goes on to lose two more fights on the regional scene and then retires. He lost four straight fights after the Namov fight and retired. He's only 30 years old. Done. And yet he beat name off everywhere. He's a better striker than him. He better cardio than him. He a better wrestler than him. just didn't really see anything out of him so he gets didn't obviously sign with the ufc he fought oliver olivier murad for Titan, lost that fight as well and then since then he's real he kind of rebuilt himself in las vegas at a low level he's more of a guy that's in the gym training partner getting good rounds and no doubt about it but to take a fight on short notice is difficult you know ufc debut in itself is difficult Jamie Malarkey's been in there with some decent guys. Jamie Malarkey has fought Alexander Volkanovsky and proceeded to go be a training partner to him. You know, he's got very solid cardio. He's got a good ground game. His striking, you know, he's a little bit hittable for my liking. But again, good power, guy that's going to come forward and kind of make it rough on you. So this is a hell of a debut, but I just don't see where he beats him. Like Malarkey's got a better wrestling, probably takes him down, grinds him, tires him out, and TKOs him partway through the second or into the third. But even if it doesn't, and it's just a stand-up battle, like, I don't know that he's got... You know it's punch's chance, it's MMA, like sure, but Malarkey got floored by Michael Johnson and got back up. Like, not a whole lot of guys can say that they either just beat Johnson or that's it, they don't live to tell the tale. You don't get dropped by Johnson, get back up. Malarkey is tough, man. The like, guy can take a hell of a blow, so even in punch's chance scenario, I still think the guy prevails. It's the four to one, you know, like it's MMA it's a tight enough fight considering neither guy is anywhere near the top 15 or top 20 of the sport they both make a lot of mistakes but Malarkey's a lot safer and beyond all of that you know this man will fight for your dollar because he is a true warrior so i don't like the price tag if i put him on my top ticket this week of course it's going to be an entertaining fight could be a, a you know a little bit more entertaining than you would like it to be and one-sided route is the way you like it to be for a top ticket but all the same, it's like he doesn't really add a whole lot of value. Like who you matching him up with? So biggest favorite on the card, rightfully so, sure. But but not, yeah, and even then you don't feel great about it. Definitely the pick, though, hundred percent. Jamie Malarkey minus four hundred. It's kind of steamed. Uh,
0: moving on down, we got Elise Reed taking on Jinyu Frey. Elise Reed, the minus one twenty favorite. Jinyu Frey can be had for plus one hundred. Minus one twenty on Elise Reed. It's probably one of the. I think it's the best number on the market right now um what a world's cody lisa reed favorite um against a a veteran in Jin Yu frey um they both had some questionable matchups along the way prize picks has uh Jin Yu frey's takedowns i believe still let me just look that up at 0.5 um kind of interested in that because it doesn't you know when Elise Reed has struggled the most in the UFC is when her opponents have had a wrestling advantage. I don't really know who has the wrestling advantage here. Um, well, Elise Reed went out there, the one win that she got in the UFC and uh, utilized her wrestling kind of stunned everybody that she was the big uh, that she had the wrestling advantage in that fight. I mean, I got no super, super hot take here, Cody. I don't know if it's a fight that's going to be getting my money, but Jin Frey will be getting my pick. Uh, who you got here?
1: I'm going to go with Elise Reed. And I know, man, I feel awful about it. But, yeah, I just feel like in the ever so slight close battle, uh, she's making a lot more improvements, I think. I see I see improvements from her fight to fight. In terms of the, the striking, you've got one girl that's Taekwondo-based in uh elise reed who's more of a point fighter but some decent enough volume she likes to keep that bounce going she likes to play the range game jinnyu frey is probably a more technical fighter a little little tighter a little more defensively sound perhaps she just doesn't throw the volume if she tries to re- rely on her wrestling when has that ever worked for her The so last time she's taken an opponent down was like gloria de paula so jinnyu frey coming off a knockout loss too in 47 seconds which is not supposed to happen. Like, I just, I couldn't get behind her. But I will tell you this about Elise Reed, Paul. This is great. Elise Reed makes her debut in the UFC against Sinjaro Eubanks and gets destroyed, smoked, smoked. And I remember thinking, this girl does not belong in the UFC. Very next fight, Corey McKenna. Close fight, dude. Close fight. She outstrikes Corey McKenna. Her ground game looked improved. It's a close split decision. And uh, she cost me a ton of money by ge- beating Corey McKenna. I thought, damn. She made a lot of improvements. Okay, least Reed showed me she belongs. The very next fight against Sam Hughes, oh, she got toasted, Paul. Gives up four takedowns, smoke. Doesn't belong there. Next fight against Melissa Martinez, you see the improvements. She's got three offensive takedowns in that fight. You know, she scores a knockdown. Striking look, power look decent. Um, wrestling look much improved. And then the very next fight against Loma Luke Bume gives up two takedowns against rear naked choke. Like, I just, I can't even get a read. I can't get a read. On Elise Reed, she's either awful non-competitive, zero ground game costs her, or this is a girl that actually moves pretty decent, has some decent volume, okay striking, good kicks, working on her wrestling diligently. It's that she's fighting good girls. Jin Frey, at this stage of her career, I don't know that she relies on the wrestling for 15 minutes as much as she may score a takedown in the first round, maybe a couple of takedowns here and there. But that's it. I got to go with Reed
0: on price picks all we need is one, is is one it's 0.5 that's I'd what I'm take saying that, is for that sure. yeah <laughs> the over on that it's just like i know that jennifer Frey doesn't go out there do it but it's like all right the at least reed when she showed these massive wrestling improvements where she got three takedowns against melissa martinez melissa martinez was a striker and it didn't look like she had any sort of other like ground game um in her arsenal whatsoever. And on top of that. Melissa Martinez got a takedown on Elise Reed. Um, literally every single opponent that she's had. Has gotten over 0.5. I know that, uh, that Jin Frey doesn't use it all that often. But we just need one on prize picks. Promo code DOP. Um, but yeah. In terms of like an actual bet on this fight. There's 13 fights. I don't do the PRP so doesn't really feel like one that I'm going to be forcing unless something something crazy happens on way weigh- at wins or something uh, we got Luan Lucerta taking on Damon Blackshear minus 150 for Lucerta plus 130 for Blackshear your thoughts
1: I feel like Lacerda is probably the best value on the card at minus 150, to be honest with you. I-, I like the kid, 30 years old, Brazilian. A lot of the times you'll see these guys in the regional scene from Brazil, very strong. Looks like they're a little bit green. Looks like there's a little couple issues. And th- that UFC debut, they always show up much better versions of themselves. He looked good on the regional scene. He's got crafty grappling. He's very physically strong. His striking really not all that bad. It's like, it's like very, uh, it's just straightforward Brazilian Muay Thai, right? But but solid, solid striking. It's his ability to create the scramble, take advantage of this position, and then up on the ground. Once he ends up on the ground, third round, you just go back to his winning streak. Third round armbar, third round andacana choke, second round triangle choke, second round guillotine, second round guillotine, first round rear naked, second round rear naked, second round, naked, second round heel hook, second round rear naked. He, he's got an ability to get the positions that he wants and then get a variety of submissions. Very strong physical guy. Coming and making a UFC debut against Cody Stamen, that's a rough go. Cody Stamen's a 10 fight. You know, he generally gives a good account of himself. Can wrestle, can strike, has solid cardio, falling into a gatekeeper type role, but all the same, very, very tough debut. Uh Lacerda comes in as a plus three ten underdog. And I think that just goes to show you the zero expectations that he's going to be able to hang with Cody Stamen in his UFC debut. And he gave him absolute I everything, mean, everything he can handle. His striking looked good. Uh I had, a, I had a bet on Cody Stamen of course, did not feel good about it at any point. By the numbers, Cody Stamon now landed him 103 to 80, but Cody stamen was a lot of, like, jab, low kicks, like, you know, little half-putt strikes from the outside, whereas, like, Lacerda's biting down and getting a hold of him. Lands 80 on Cody Stamen. That's pretty solid, fight considering you're taking on a defensive guy. And not only that, he scored the lone takedown of the fight over Cody Stamon, which I think is a huge feather in his cap. So how does he match up in this fight with DeMond Blackshear? Like, DeMond Blackshear... Can't fight off his back. You saw that in the use of Zalal fight. Like, once he got taken down and ended up on his back, he got 10 8 He got smoked. He's long, five 5'10", 72-inch reach. He's got some good striking. He's an unorthodox kind of fighter. But uh, once you take him down and take him out of his element, he doesn't seem physically strong enough to get back to his feet on his own. He doesn't have that big explosiveness where he's just going to get all, up all of a sudden. And his defensive grappling is just not quite good enough. So, like, Luang sort of keeps us standing... He's going to be competitive if he takes him down or if he can trip him up or catch a kick or for whatever reason gets on top, he's just going to take his back or he's just going to land up in half guard and that's going to be the end of it. So uh, I think that generally your first fight in the UFC, uh, you're you're expected to not do great necessarily. Your second fight, that's your coming out party. You're a lot more comfortable. You got a full camp. You know, you've experienced this stuff already. Will sort look good to me in his debut. Didn't get the win. Super close fight. Didn't get the win. But I think you're going to see an even better version of him here, and I think he's just got the tools to beat DeMond Blacks here. So a minus 150, not terrible. Now, can I put this on, even though I like him, can I put it on the top play this week? No, probably not, because it's like a dirty prelim fight between two guys that are 0-1 in the UFC. Actually, one guy's 0-1 in the UFC. The other guy's 0-1 in the UFC. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah 0-1 in yeah. <laughs> because of the Zalal fight. But anyways, he the draw with Yusuf Zalal and then his next fight against uh, Farid Basharat, it's the same thing. He gives up three takedowns to Basharat. He lost that fight because he, I thought he won the third. I thought his cardio looked all right. I thought his striking looked all right. His takedown defense is what continues to give him problems. So with Lacerda, like he's he's strong, he's physical, he's going to be coming forward. And I think once he trips him up and gets the fight to the ground, that's when he'll be in his wheelhouse.
0: Yeah, I thought Luan Lacerda looked like a problem in... Um in his debut like that was a tough opponent to be taking on in your UFC debut kind of threw him to the wolves and he looked like he belonged in the top 15 to be perfectly honest like you you like a lot of people scored it for uh for the underdog he was like a two plus 250 underdog in that spot um, a lot of people scored it for him. Um, and I couldn't even really fight against those scorecards whatsoever. Like it was razor, razor close in a lot of these rounds. Stateman wasn't able to get the wrestling going early. Like Lacerda was too strong. Classic Novu and Yao, like takedown defense on point. Fire hydrant. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I think it's a bad matchup for Blackshear. Minus 150 seems more than fair for Luan Lacerda in this spot. And finally, we got Maxime Grecian taking on... Felipe Linz, uh, Maxim Grishin, a minus 130 favorite. Linz can be had for plus 110. Who you got?
1: Yeah, it's just another god-awful fight that I don't think... Like, I shouldn't say god-awful. Like, of course, I'll watch it. We love MMA. We love fights in general. We love combat sports. But, like, from a betting perspective, like, what kind of angle are you really trying to get here? Felipe Lins, don't know what version of you're going to get from him. But you and I have kind of lived by this steadfast rule of, you know, let guys who lost to Kelly and Nunsen uh, show up on your tickets. Because at any point, Felipe Lins could blow one for you. And that actually played out huge in his UFC debut against Andre Arlovski. He just won a million dollars in the PFL, bSPFL, PFL, comes to the UFC and loses to Andre Arlovski in his debut. Because that's the kind of untrustworthiness that comes out of him. Now he has successfully been able to drop back down to 205 pounds, and he's coming off a pair of victories, one over Marcin Prat now. Not even super impressive in my opinion, but then his last time out, he absolutely demolished OSP off in St. Peru. But just like you know, what version of, of St. Prue? He's not he's not necessarily the same guy that he used to be. I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily he's he's not the same guy he used to be by a long stretch. So uh, Felipe Lin's a little bit older at 205, not trustworthy. I think he's got low output. I don't think he's got great durability, but yeah, I mean, he's got some fast hands for the division. He's able to explode. And if he does show up in form, he's got some decent wins. He's got some okay offense. He's just a very untrustworthy guy. Maxim Grishin. I would much rather bet Maxim Grishin. And in fact, that is going to be the official pick here. But yeah, man, he hasn't fought since it's been a 16 month layoff. It's 16 months and he just turned 39 years old so those are not spots where i want to get heavily invested because again he's a better striker i think he's going to have the better volume i think uh, his wrestling you know solid enough that he should be able to stuff the takedowns from felipe lins control some of those clinch type situations but at range Linz is going to have the heavier power Grishin's going Grishin's going to have more of those those setup combinations those little teeps those little leg kicks those little jabs like I just think over the course of 15 minutes if they kind of play p- pitter patter and it's a sparring type match then Grishin wins it. Grishin's had a few of those and he's done okay. Linz, meanwhile he, he's had a few of those as well. Like neither guy really goes for the kill so I don't I'm not expecting a knockout of this fight. I'm expecting a 15 minute spar and, uh, over the course of the 15 minutes, the better shots are landed by Grishin. but 39 years old, 16 month layoff, been dealing with injuries in a relatively close fight. Like there's no, there's no real angle here. There's nothing to be gained. I, I hope we get it right. But, uh, you know, if you got it wrong, you wouldn't be shocked by the slightest, slightest bit.
0: Yeah. Grishin's Grishin's uh, volume and cardio, I think wins him this fight. Um, and in fairness to Grishin, because you were saying like you know that he hasn't he hasn't fought in a in a long period of time. Well, he was matched up against Jailton Almeida twice. It's just like I would call that, and he withdrew both times. I would just call that good management because they were like, you don't need you don't need that L on your record. Like he was not going to do anything. To Jailson Almeida. So that, I think that's probably just good management. It's just like, oh, God, they booked you again. Get, get, get out. Run away from this matchup. And then the one, uh, the other fight that didn't happen was Linz was not medically cleared to compete uh, back in uh, October of 2022. So not even that long ago. Um, yeah, the Linz fight against OSP, it's like OSP has been kind of slow in plotting for a long time. And he went out there and he bum rushed him. 18 strikes, finishes the job, super super quick. We didn't really see all that much. This fight, this fight, uh, and interesting with Grishin is like he doesn't get. Um, he's been not, or finished in in some of his fights, but it's usually like four and five round fights. Um, hasn't been finished early. Uh, he's been submitted like one time, like ten years ago. But yeah, the chin is always held up. Submission defense. Maybe you can exploit it, but I haven't seen anything from, like, Felipe Linz that would, like, worry me from that perspective. Um, Grishin's chin holds up, and I think he just wins his fight on volume in a kind of boring uh, three-round light heavyweight fight. So, it sounds like we're on the same page there. All right, uh, just rifle through the bets that I haven't made quite yet, but uh, pretty sure they're going to add on my card. Uh, Kai of France minus 110. Um, I like the side there. Just Elbazi hasn't been around long enough to show me if he, if, you know, if he's if he's at this level, I'll find out on on Saturday and I'll take that L. Um, Jim Miller plus one fifty five, maybe a, G, a Jim Miller knockout prop. Um, when more props are open across the market, uh, the under in the t- uh Tim Elliott versus Altamirano fight. That's probably narrative based, but uh, at plus two fifteen, plus two ten out there. I mean, it's probably worth a little dabble. Uh, I'm going to probably go on to the Aleski, uh, Le- Eliza Zaleski Dos Santos by KO prop. I see plus 400. We'll see when more props open up across the market. Andre Orlovsky plus 120 and Luan Lacerda minus 150. Those are the spots that have my attention after breaking down this card with you. Hit them with the PRP code.
1: Him at the PRP, it's actually chalk heavy, but a lot of that chalk is like minus 110, minus 120. Like it's not, they're pretty much even money fights. Speaking of even money fights, Kikar France, and I might use him at the top this week as a hedge out just because it's going to add a lot of value. It's the main event and I can hop out hopefully if the other picks hit, but we're going to go Kikar France, Alex, Bruce, Leroy Casares, Jared Gordon, Tim Elliott, Kareem Silva, Abubakar Nurmagomedov, who's an even money pick uh on Lovsky, who's dog number one and by that i mean like plus 120 plus 110 daniel santos elise reed lawan lacerda jamie malarkey maxim Grishin. so again a lot of i only officially have the one underdog on jerlovsky but i think you'd see that there's three or four basically even money picks uh, i'm not worried about the do i have enough dogs on the card it's about you know what's the right order to go with who's the most risky pick who's the, I should pull this thing off and be safe. Because again, there's a lot of fighters on this roster that, I don't know. Do, do they all deserve to be there? Maybe not. They're owed a certain amount of fights and that's what they're doing. So uh, I'm more excited about this card than I normally be because we're coming off the week long break. But uh, yeah, all the same. It's just like, I still got some thinking to do. I still want to watch weigh-ins and then hopefully get that, that right. If we can get the core four on a card like this, great. If we can hit a six, eight, 10, 12, 13, five PRP, even better. But, uh, again, it's just about, like, who are the most trustworthy of those small group of favorites.
0: Makes sense, bro. Makes sense. Anyway, that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. I think there's, like, 12 straight weeks after this, so you'll be seeing a lot of mine and Cody's face and producer Megan behind the scenes. That is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. Goodbye and good luck. (laughs)